Oh, John. Oh, that's great. Dave, uh, solid what. out of the gate. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I'm glad to be here, though. Yeah. Oh, are you? Hey. Oh, oh definitely. Uh, because I'm only going to be here an hour. I know. Yeah. You guys are pushing I'm out of here. Getting yeah. out of here. It's going to be a ghost town in here. <laughs> I tell yeah. you. Yeah. You know, uh, happy anniversary, David. Thank ten, you. Ten years. Thank you. Wow. Ten years. When did you get married when you were 12? 13? No. Was, was 13. You had to get a parents. You know, in okay. Arizona, it's legal. Yeah. You know, in some places, <laughs> yeah. you can drive it. Out west. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, here you get married at 12. As long as you can handle a six shooter. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And now, how many kids? You got six kids, or how many kids? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, nine on the way. Which yeah. Is, no, thir- three. So, three yeah, kiddos. Count. That's yeah. great, David. Yeah. It's so. Good. We were, you're going up where the wildfires are yeah. in California, and we got pushed out of our special spot here in Arizona by wildfire that got started last night. Yeah. So I feel really badly for the people who work there and live there. Yeah. I also feel badly for myself. Yes. Where Do you know where you're going to go? Uh, we're going to end up in California, San Diego somewhere. Yeah. And, uh Yeah. So that we were, I was just complaining about the drive to San Diego. But anyone from Phoenix, if you actually make it to San Diego, then you really should stop complaining because it's just so much better than here in the heat. So, although it's a little cooler today, this is a I know, I yeah, I missed like the three great yeah, days that yeah. are going to be in May. Yeah, yeah so uh, life is skewed. Uh, uh, so sad to live here. So uh, sad. Hey, so uh, sorry be, for you, be, be sad, but who's preaching on Memorial Day? When maybe my wife might show maybe. And three others. Yeah, I mean, good for oh, you. it's good terrible. Yeah. And it's a really important passage. And I've got four people. If you can hear this by the sound of my voice, if you're in Connecticut or something, just try it out. Try it out. You, you got to travel. Yeah, you need to take my spot. Yeah. Well, you need to take the podcast off. You want them to drive out because they can they can hear you any time of day. Oh, that's true. That's true. Kind of Connecticut. Oh, shoot. Yeah. yeah. Usually I sit on the left side of church, so if you want to take my spot, <laughs> take then... David's spot. Far left, Far about left. three rows back, would that's you say? Right. I'd say yeah. that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of church, read us a sad story. Uh, sad story. Would you folks like to... That's, <laughs> you liked it. that's like, here, smell this, you. smell this cream. I think it's spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> would you drink this milk? <laughs> <laughs> Please. All right. Guys, this is... Uh, uh, and the fun stops here for a little bit. Uh, 1997. The first 13 years on staff at Open Door, it almost felt like I was stealing money, receiving a paycheck. It was that fun, that incredibly life-giving, that fulfilling. I read and hear of those who say that no local churches can be trusted once they gain any significant size, that the Spirit of God will always get squelched by a system's power agenda and program, and they are mostly correct. I know I would be on their team if I hadn't experienced those years at Open Door Fellowship, but I lived in it. Early on, the life-giving safety and power and beauty of this community got me dreaming. I wanted this environment to be perpetuated all over the world. I could imagine a campus that would draw others to come and live in this clumsy but authentic community of grace. I could see it in full color, a center of art and drama, teaching and interaction, a place to experience grace and life and learn how to read the scriptures without a filter of moralism, a place to learn vulnerability, affirmation and authentic friendships, a place to fail, a place to be released into dreams and destiny and need. We would have a tape ministry sending those truths out of identity and grace all over the world. This message, this way of life, this life in God is that important. It simply must share the marketplace of ideas with the prevailing luminaries who 
pedal systems of earned spiritual maturity. And I naively thought we were impervious to the divisiveness and broken relationships so many other communities seemed to live as normal. And then the dream unraveled almost overnight. I honestly still don't know what happened. To this day, I'm still not sure how much my immaturity or inflexible kingdom building played into it. I'm still not sure why it had to happen, but it did. In the course of the next year, our outreach to the neighborhood formed a church in a different location. So much of it was good, but some of it carried wounding from hurtful decisions of our elders. I became estranged from one of my very best friends with whom I thought I'd do ministry for the rest of my life. Open Door moved into a temporary rented facility that we could only use on Sundays, and and friends began to leave. There was a growing spirit of mistrust over our community. I tried everything I could do to keep it patched together. I couldn't believe others would be so willing to sacrifice this dream over what I considered lesser issues, and my heart got broken. And I fought against the loss with all my heart, but I couldn't help much anymore because I was losing objectivity. I was making myself the issue, and I was hurting others in the embarrassment of my immaturity. I got revealed in all my stuff, and I hid myself away, and the fun completely stopped. I was fighting so hard for a vision I was certain God was part of, and that period of time taught me a life-giving truth. Awakening. God is infinitely less interested in my vision than he is with my person. Until authenticity and maturity and dependency are realized, my vision will be crippled. So years went by with me learning nearly nothing. I was gritting it out. I still preached well-prepared and sincere messages, but my heart was frozen. I found it almost impossible to forgive the ones I was certain had wronged me so grievously. The person key to my pain didn't even seem phased by it. He was thriving. Until he was willing to own his part, I was unwilling to even consider my part in all of this. I was trying so hard to hold on to my rightness, my vindication. And then I began to blame God. Didn't he care? Couldn't he see accurately? Did he have the power to defend me to defend me and rectify this dream that seemed to be quickly slipping away? After a year or two, I gave up hope of it ever getting better. All I wanted now was to move on and be freed from this pain to leave the rotting, embarrassing corpse of my dream. I I received a preaching pastor offer from a church in Ohio. A few of their leaders heard me preach and offered me the job without me having to candidate. It would give me an out. I was in so much pain. I called them back. Stacy told me I could take the job, but she would not be joining me. Our kids were vitally tied into our youth ministry. They had lifelong friends already. So I couldn't leave. I was stuck. I was embarrassed. And I was miserable. And I imagine Jesus saying during this time, John, this is the saddest time in our relationship to have to sit on my hands while I watch you lose hope in my ability to make wrong things right. I must watch you suffer in your pride. I'm not ignoring you. I am standing over you in the arena so you cannot destroy yourself. Light is coming. You are tiring. And I am here. If I thought there was a better way to bring your heart home, I would do it immediately. John, here's what you don't know. You are going to stay. Twelve years from now, you will still be an elder when the truths and environment you long to see lived out 
will begin to thrive again. You also don't yet know that I will spread it to places that you've never even heard of. The ministry that Bill and Bruce are developing will spread this message all over. You'll do a lot of the writing for it. You'll speak in places you never imagined. I did it, John. I just didn't do it in the way you thought I would. But I did it, and I'm doing it. And I will continue to do it until time runs out. In these 12 years, you're maturing into the man you always hoped you'd be. I've been doing that also. Awakening. God protects the humble, but he has to sit on his hands until the proud get weary enough of defending themselves. Hmm. Wow. Do you think that that really that there was there was pride in you for the way you wanted this vision to turn out or how do you describe I was looking through this how mm-hmm. do you describe pride at mm-hmm. that stage yeah I, I think the pride was more um, once I got hurt okay the, that that pride of um, I can't trust you with this God you know that that I will have to go alone I will have to grit it out I'll have to solve this thing by my so I, I really do think the vision was beautiful. I, mm-hmm. I really do think those were right and noble, God-given dreams. Yeah. I just didn't have the maturity um, to be able to face it when it came up against conflict. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I became subjectified, and then I became disappointed that, that God... I thought these were your dreams, God. I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do and to find out that um, he he wasn't honoring those dreams right now. And, yeah. and it was more about me having I mean, to grow up. You yeah. know, I thought, forget me growing up. We have we don't have much time left. I'm getting older. Let, let, let this dream happen no matter how messed up I am. I think that's where the awakening is really a good one. Uh, that God is inf- infinitely less interested in my vision than he is with my person. And you could say he is infinitely less interested in my vision for my career, for my business, mm-hmm. for my church, mm-hmm. even for my family, mm-hmm. than he is mm-hmm. with who our family is. That's right. Um, he's uh, he's all the time going another way than what we expect. Oh. His thoughts just that, do That has just been so maddening along mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. He, Never do my thoughts or not your thoughts yeah, yeah. sound more true. Even though we're fused together, yeah, um, I, I I always feel like I'm missing that quite often. Yeah, I think it's it's excellent for us to apply it across all our key relationships, and then as I sit here, including today, um, apply it to the stewardship of True Faced. What yeah. how God wants yeah. to bless other people is not always the way we think it's supposed to go. And and to be uh, in close touch, listening to him on that, and, very and, and maddeningly, sometimes he has to slow us down. The yeah. carriers of this message, these yeah. guys, these we think we're doing such a noble thing, but he says, yeah. oh, "I'm going to have to slow you guys down mm-hmm. a little bit because because mm-hmm. your person and who you are is 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 the validation of the message." That's right. Well, you guys, that's that's a profound message. We need to apply it to our lives today here, and we hope that you can do that as well. 
as you think about that awakening, God is infinitely less interested in your vision than he is with who he's making you with your person. Great awakening. Thanks, John. Happy we could bum you out with that uh, piece of my history. (laughs) (laughs) See you next week. See you next week. Bye, you guys.